This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, everyone. My name is Annie Grace, and this is the Naked Mind podcast with Annie Grace, and I am here today with Michelle. And Michelle has graciously decided to come on and share her story, and I'm so excited. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. So Michelle, let's just dive into this. When, um, you know, what was your life like really kind of before you started to question your drinking? Where, what were you doing? Who are you, Michelle? Like, where were you in life? Okay. What, what was happening? Um, I was married for about 15 years and my ex-husband at the time was a recovering alcoholic. And when I met him, he was, so we never drank at all. And I never drank growing up, not needing it in college or, or participated in it in any way. Um, and so when I was married to him, we just never drank. And then towards the end of my marriage, I lost a lot of weight. I lost about 65 pounds. And so I didn't drink then as well. But when I did choose to go outside the boundaries of losing weight, I did drink some alcohol. And I was very familiar with portion control. So I would literally weigh or measure out two ounces of alcohol. And that would be a weekly treat if I let myself have those two ounces. Well, then I got divorced very suddenly. I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years and hadn't had a career in 10 years. And then I found myself with no home, no career, two kids on my own. So I quickly established a new career, but with single parenting, it, you know, it started slowly and I didn't have a husband around who didn't. So I, I, I was on my own. So I made my own decisions, my own choices. And with that being single, I started to date a lot and every single date required you to go meet someone for drinks. And it just became the norm. And then every day after work, it got more and more stressful as the years went on and my kids got older that it just became were in the evenings I would drink. And so I would, I remember measuring out two ounces and sipping on it and feeling like I was, you know, doing something naughty and I would get a buzz off of two ounces. And then come now I would be drinking in the summer every single day. My kids go to their dad's house for a month in the summer and I became lonely and um, I would exercise, I would eat healthy, but I always drank and it was progressive and progressive. And I didn't know how to have a relationship with anybody else besides the alcohol, truthfully. The more I drank, the more I became isolated. Yeah, it's so isolating. It's incredibly isolating. And it's so funny with the knowledge that, you know, we kind of have now to be like, oh, well, of course it was progressive because you were building a tolerance because your body was like fighting off this poison and building an immunity and protecting itself, right? But in the throes of it, like that would never even kind of cross your mind. Like you wouldn't have any idea what was happening. So let's talk about where did sort of the cognitive dissonance start for you? Like where did this questioning start to happen and was there anything major or was it just kind of a minor or how, how would that happen? Okay. I'll be truthful that, um, I was very great about eating well, exercising. I'm great at parenting. I enjoy my job. Um, but I kept, being very sexually active with people when I would go on dates with them. And that was always because I was drinking. And after two years of, of calling my counselor and saying, look, I think I'm addicted to sex, which really wasn't the case. It was that I started drinking so much that 
every time I went out with someone, that was my go-to. I would drink and have sex and then feel guilty. And I was really just sick of it. I was sick of waking up the next day and beating myself up. I was sick of questioning how many drinks I've had, who I'm with. Um, you know, I just, I only have so much amount of spare space in my head and it was going every night to the drinking. And then when in the morning would come, it would go to the drinking. And then I knew I was in trouble when I was looking forward to it every single day. You know, when no one is around and no one's paying attention to what I'm doing, you know, no one was there to question what I was doing, but I knew deep down inside something was not sitting right with me. And so I realized for the sex part that wasn't healthy for it to clear up in order for that to clear up, I had to let go of the drinking because that was the catalyst I used to make that okay. And so I, and I, I was so tired of saying, you know, I'm exercising, I'm working out. But at the end of the day, when my kids are sitting on the couch, I was sneaking drinks that were clear so they wouldn't see me do it. And a catalyst came also, our, what really made a difference for me too, is I realized after reading your book that I was always telling my kids not to do something, but I was doing it. I was telling them not to have sex before they're married or telling them to be safe. And I wasn't. I was, I'm telling my 16-year-old not to drink. And this is the reasons you shouldn't drink. But at the same time, he sees me drinking. And so I really felt to be an honorable parent. I sat down with him when they came back from their dad's last summer. And I said, look, something's changed. I I have decided not to drink anymore. And as a parent, I want to tell you, as a parent, I screw up a lot. And this is something I don't want to screw up on. I don't want to be the parent who tells you it's okay to do this because it's really not. It doesn't make it okay for me just because I'm a certain age. So I told my kids I've removed it from the house and I won't be drinking anymore. And so making that decision and then having my children, I'm accountable to them as well. It makes a big difference for me. Right, right. And I think that's so interesting what you say. I mean, um, so I, I recently had a baby and I remember being warned about not putting like my cell phone near my stomach. And it was kind of like one of those things. Well, okay, you're not supposed to drink alcohol when you're pregnant um, mm-hmm. because it's bad and you're not supposed to. And I'm like, oh, the cell phone, like, why are these things that you can't do pregnant okay to do to your human body when you're not pregnant? How does that, how does that make a lot of sense? But, um, okay. Very cool. So when did things, I mean, where'd you find the book? Just curious. Okay. I found, I, I, this is what I did. I I see a counselor regularly because I really want to maintain my mental health and, and, and going through being a successful mom, single mom. Um, and I, one day I just, I've, texted her after a one night stand. And I said, I need to find a hypnotist to hypnotize me to not drink anymore. Cause I had tried and tried and tried. And it just, the white knuckling it got to where I just felt failure. But I knew that the brain had to react differently because I was very, I'm very well aware of the cognitive thinking when it comes to eating. I don't have sugar in my house. My family knows we don't do it. And I've maintain a weight loss for five, six years because that switch has changed. So I knew in my mind, something wasn't clicking. So when she had no recommendations for hypnotherapists and I literally just Googled how to stop drinking and your book came up. One of the key things I did is I read your book, you know, I studied it like my life depended on it. And I didn't just stop at that. I went to the next book after that. And I went to the next book after that and I'm getting emotional, but it just clicked, you know, it just clicked. And, um, you know, I just realized my life depended on it. And um, in my family, I'm the only one who who eats healthy. So it's very difficult. And um, 
you know, now I'm the only one who chooses not to drink, which is difficult also, but um, I have to do the right thing and I, I know how it feels to do the right thing. And so this was just the next step in my, you know, becoming an adult. It's about time, you know, I had to grow up. You know, it's not pretty when you're 40 years old and you have a one night stand. I mean, it's just not. And, um, you know, I still study it. I still make a conscious effort. Like I do exercise every day to, to focus on the alcohol, you know, um, I was able to make that switch and, but I don't take it for granted. I don't let it stop. Honestly, it's like when you're a teacher, you have to continue your education. That's just part of the deal. And so, you know, I stopped doing things that were numbing me out and I focused on learning and learning and learning who I am and what I could be. And so, um, you know, after stopping drinking, I knew I could do like a juice challenge or a juice cleanse because it, it was a matter of changing my mind. I stuck with it and I'm going to do it. And, you know, honestly, if I hadn't had some weight loss success or success in other areas, you know, the, the, the destructive part of your mind tells you, you just can't do it. Right. But it was, but that's what wasn't working is listening to that part of your mind. So you know, I just, I, I fought for all I was worth and I haven't been drinking that long, honestly, but the progression was two ounces to 16 ounces right. of hard liquor. No one saw, no one knew, but I woke up hating myself. Right. And I don't want to wake up feeling that way. And, you know, I'm not a good mom, teacher, mom, you know, whoever with the drinking, I really wasn't. Right. So I can supply it. I just, you know, I'm, I still don't have a large group of friends because it's just not necessary for me at this time. Um, you know, and a lot of people choose to go out and, and be social and I don't find that fun anymore. So I, but I'm totally at peace with it. I'm okay with it. What I love about you, Michelle, like you just, you own your life, you know, it's really inspiring to see and just seeing you, you're glowing, you're excited. Thank you are, you. you've taken control in like every aspect of the word and so many things you say, resonate. And I, I got emotional too, because, you know, the kids, right? Like I yeah. remember how it felt to be trapped doing something I don't want to be doing. That feeling yes. is not a feeling I ever want for my children, you know? And I think of yes. it with, you know, I have two boys and I think of it with like porn addictions, or I think of it with you know, right. any type of addiction. Like I never want them to be trapped in something that makes them hate themselves. And so like, what, what can we do? And just like, good for you. Like, wow. To have you know, just owned it. Like I that feel, just is so awesome. Thanks. I feel being very vulnerable to my children is the key. Yeah. You know, I grew up and my mom had, was, um, the stay at home mom. And I, I didn't, I never, you know, they didn't fight in front of us. They didn't do things in front of us. So I didn't see how people handled situations. So I'm very vulnerable with my children. And I know that I, I, I want them to be able to see me struggle with things. I keep my alcohol books out. So my 15 year old who loves to read will pick it up. Right. You know, I keep my, you know, when I talked about my children with porn or whatever those things, I tell them that as a woman, I've struggled with that too. You know, I've struggled, I've struggled and you will struggle. That's what I love about being a high school teacher is that I, I you know, these kids are just, I love this age. They're so impressionable. But at the same time, 
I can't be telling them not to do things and then doing it myself. I just, I have to expose myself constantly because I have no one to be accountable for. I'm not married. No one's, you know, no one sees. One of the things I did when I got instantly divorced is I had no career. I became a lunch lady at my kid's school. I mean, it was very humbling to have college education to, because I had to start somewhere, you know, and I didn't tell people I was college educated, but I needed to be with my children to see them. And now I teach culinary because I have a food background and everything. But, you know, there has to become a time in your life where you are humbled to the fact that I just don't have it all figured out. And I still don't. I mean, I still constantly pull things up to reflect on them. And it's, I thought when I would be this age, I'd have it all figured out, honestly. Well, but I don't. Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, yeah. When I'm I'm going to turn 39 in, in just about a week. <laughs> and yeah, I thought, oh, whatever. But, you know, it's it's all a journey and it's so beautiful in its own kind of messy way. Um, one of the things right. you said that also just strikes me is that idea of, of kind of teachers and continuing education. And, um, you know, the reality is if you and I could just like have this mindset shift and, and realize these truths about alcohol and then go and live in a cabin somewhere in the mountains where the culture wasn't around us, you know, it would be easy, but look at the truth. Like you are going to go home. I am going to go home. And just today we are going to see dozens and dozens and dozens of pro drinking messages that are going to hit us consciously, hit us subconsciously. And then you think about the high schoolers you're teaching or your children or my children. And, you know, I mean, in the UK, it's not even legal to advertise alcohol, but in the U S Right. It's the most frustrating thing about watching football because it's every other commercial is, right. you know, and, and it's, it's these people who are doing all this fitness, but drinking Michelob ultra and, and that's cool because yes. it's low calorie or whatever. And we're just inundated with it. And, um, as much as I want to say, like, let's, let's shift it and let's change the culture. Like, yes, let's do that. But also let's be really realistic about this culture we're in. And I think you nailed it. I mean, it's about being constantly kind of mindful because you're right. I mean, life depends on it. Like there's nothing in, in the U S that kills more people than alcohol in terms of a, um, you know, choice. Like, so sure there's, there's other causes of death, but in terms of a preventable cause of death that we do to ourselves, you know, alcohol is four times the opiate epidemic and the opiate epidemic is going, going sky high. So, you know, yeah. So what are, what are the, some of the things that you kind of do to just constantly keep that continuing education going? You know, I, I talk to others online. I, um, I, I just research, I read, I pull it out again and read it if I need to. And this is with really other things in my life as well. If I feel like I'm struggling with food, I'll, I'll just take some time to focus and read something that'll make me feel good or a new focus. You know, what works for me today may not work for me tomorrow. So I feel like it's up to me to pick up the needle on the record player and put it back where I need to to start all over again. And if that requires me to do it five times today, I'm just going to have to do it five times today. But if I, it stays for a week and I'm on the same, you know, crease, then that's fine too. But I feel like, uh, uh, What's important to me is is me stopping and being able to say, I'm just going to have to start this all over again because I just don't have it all figured out, but I knew, I know that I've made the decision to, and I'm going to stick with it. And, um, you know, I just, it, it just, I, I'm the only one fighting for myself. I have to, and it was killing me. I, you know, I wasn't going anywhere, but that was the point. I wasn't going anywhere. And I was in this circle of why can't I get a better job? Why can't I get this? Why can't I get this? And it's because I felt dead inside. I mean, I was exercising and eating right, 
but I was hating myself. I would get up to pee in the middle of the night, as you do when you drink, and it just, it, you, the, the, what I would tell myself over and over and over again was, you're horrible. Why did you drink? Why did you choose that? Why did you choose that? And I think to myself, would I talk to my children this way? Never. But I kept talking to myself in such a harmful, horrible way. I, I just couldn't stop that cycle. And so I, I tried, you know, talking to myself nicer, but there wasn't anything nice to say. You were, I was still constantly making a bad decision. So how nice could I talk to myself? If I was treating myself like a child, I would say, get your act together, girl, because <laughs> yeah. you're going down the wrong path. So I, I try to treat myself and think how I would be towards my children. I would be kind to them, but I would tell them, you are doing something wrong. You've got to change. And so I, I just have to do that progressively, (laughs) you know, years go on days, whatever. Well, it's such a beautiful idea, really, to treat yourself as if you would treat your children, because um, both on the side of just caring for them, you know, we talk about loving our bodies, and especially as women and with weight loss and everything, like, we've equated that to being sexy, and or feeling attractive. And, And that's just not true. We don't love our children's bodies, because you know, they're attractive. We don't love our kids because they're cute or because they're good at sports. You know, we love our kids because they exist, because they are, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. that we need to love ourselves because we exist, because this body kind of houses ourselves. And um, I say it all the time and I'll say it again, but, you know, we didn't create ourselves. So we we think we have this um, permission to treat ourselves badly, badly than we would even treat a stranger. But we didn't make ourselves, you know? And so who gave us that permission? Like we don't have that permission. We can't treat ourselves badly. It's not, it's not cool. (laughs) Um, Right. Exactly. You've been so just amazing and vulnerable, but I want to ask you a little bit more about, about sex. Cause one of the things I think, you know, especially like getting in the mood and everything else, you're like, okay, I remember, um, you know, like let's have a, a few glasses just to make sure things are, are, you know, all all ready. (laughs) And then, so so how, um, how is it like for me, and I'll just tell my story first, loosen things up, but, um, you know, certainly there was some apprehension there. There was like, okay, well, you know, I've been having sex with wine for as long as I've been married. Let's just be real. And, um, but then after that, like, I've been really, you know, blown away by alcohol as an anesthetic. So just mm-hmm. put those two together, right? So right, right. <laughs> actually, um, from a purely physical standpoint, you know, yeah, sure, maybe you have to get into the the mental thing. You got to overcome that a bit. But from a physical standpoint, at least in my opinion, it certainly is way better than it's ever been before. Like there's no um, kind of, you know, as women, it's it's not as easy as it is for men to right. kind of, you know, feel great. And, right. um, and I've found that that has become just infinitely easier without drinking, but I'd love to hear uh, your point of view. You know, I used alcohol to, to cut that process of getting to know someone. I used it to, Hey, let's just get to this. Let's just get to the business. And that's how I got to know people. And, um, I used it to, to have sex basically, you know, and now that I don't have that, I can honestly say I feel sexier. I feel more confident and, because of that, I know what I want now, and I don't want those shallow relationships to occur in my life anymore. Right. So 
that is difficult because when you are with somebody who's who's drinking, um, there there is that disconnect. But at the same time, I have been able to say no because I wasn't drinking. And before I wasn't able to say no to situations or people that I, that I, I was with, I wasn't able to say no, honestly. And I couldn't figure out why. And it's because I, I was drinking so much, I was numbing my thought processes of this isn't a good idea. Right. And through that, I have noticed people I am not attracted to. And um, that's what saved me from going down a deep sexual path of stopping one night stands is that now I really desire a, a connection with someone more than a physical level. The, the sex and the alcohol combined together stopped me from going anywhere else but the sex and alcohol. Right. I mean, I've had so many sex alcohol drinks, I should write a book, but yeah, that should. got me nowhere. <laughs> that got me nowhere. And I crave so much more and I'm worth so much more. Um, you know, I, I just went from step A to Z and there's so much more about me and what I was getting from these people was so surfacey, but then I look at it, what I was giving was so surfacey too. Right. So how can I expect more from someone if I'm only given the surfacey stuff? So I had to examine the fact that, you know, I did try dating online and putting it out there. Hey, I'm not going to drink, you know, but is that really the key? You know, you go through this phase of what's going to work for me. Am I, are people going to see me as a loser because I don't drink or what are people going to do? You know, and I go back and forth and see what works for me at the time. But I, I've made a conscious decision not to drink. And if my, whoever I'm with decides to drink, that's okay too. Cause I really can only be in charge of myself. But now because I don't drink, I make really healthy decisions. One thing too, that's scary is that I had no idea how many times I probably drove with alcohol in my system. And now that I go on dates, there are some times when I've said to people, let me drive you home. Right. And if I was drinking, I wouldn't have noticed that. Right. And I, everybody's drinking and driving and it's really, it's mind blowing. I just wasn't aware of that before. I think, so, I think half of the, half of the accidents, if, if I'm getting the statistic right, are alcohol related, half of the auto accidents fatal. You know, at our school, we had um, some prisoners come from who were in prison and they spoke to our, our students about drinking and driving. And both of these participants were in prison because they had killed people drinking and driving. And um, it made a huge impact on me listening to them. It was great for the students, but these were people who were, you know, 25-year-old people making six figures. They had it going on. And you look at these people and they were going in the right direction, but they chose not to do anything that I haven't done. That really scared me. They left, they left a company party and drove home and killed people. One of them was a teacher and drove home after a school function and killed some a family. They've done nothing that I pretty am sure that we've all done before. They just weren't so lucky. Right. And I just don't want to be that person. I just, that made an impact on me. You know, I, I just, how they got to where they were is no different than me sitting at home drinking. Right. I just wasn't than those prisoners. They just, they just were just like me. It's so. just some, you know, it's so true. I mean, what you're saying is so powerful. I think that um, one thing that you said earlier that I just want to skip back to, because I heard this yesterday, is, um, you know, if we're in, and we can put this in the food context too, is you're talking about surface level, right? Like what you give is really surface, what you get back is really surface. And, and you can think of that like fast food, right? Like 
sure, you can go and you can go through McDonald's and you can quickly get some food and it can fill you up. But how much nutrients is in there? How much, um, you know, but then, but it's quick and it's easy and doesn't take a lot of effort and you don't have to put any time into it. And then you think about like a really healthy home cooked meal, right? Like that takes time. That takes effort. You have to go to the grocery Mm -hmm. store and pick the food and buy the stuff, right? But then what you get out of that is just so much better for your body and frankly for your soul because you feel really good about yourself when you've made something home cooked for your kids and your family or or even just yourself you know and I think that that really is true for so many things like we live in this um culture of just quick fixes we're in a quick fix culture and whether it's I remember I used to run a lot um and exercise and I really relied on that to help deal with my anxiety and depression. And then I started drinking. And then it was all of a sudden, okay, well, that's that's easier. <laughs> that's a quick fix, right? right? right. And then, yes. But actually, it's, it's really not a long-term fix. It's just really not. And I think what you're embarking on is, you know, you're saying, I'm worth it. You know, I am worth it. And I'm going to find somebody like, and it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be overnight. You're not going to, you know, Prince Charming walk in, who knows, but it's going to be this thing where, you know, in your heart, you're waking up in the middle of the night, going to the bathroom, knowing that you're doing the right thing for yourself now. And I mean, that's just got to feel amazing, right? It does. You know, I feel 10 times smarter. I don't feel like I'm hiding. I don't feel like I'm shameful deep down inside. I just don't feel any of that shame that was associated with it. And you know, the shame is associated with the food too. You know, I had to quit eating and cooking junk food when I had kids. So I I just decided to do the same thing I did with food with the alcohol. I don't want any shame. You know, you have to make so many decisions. I don't want my decisions to lead to shame. I really don't. I want them to be proud. I want, I want to be proud of myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that alcohol is just the next step of cutting toxic things out of my life. That's so awesome. I know if we all if we all could just understand, you know, this this just one simple thing that you like, you know, sure alcohol picks you up a little bit um when you first drink it cuz it numbs your your crazy brain, it numbs your mind, it numbs your body, you know, if right. it, it it makes you if you're feeling any sort of anxiety or whatever, that gets numbed and so you feel better. But then as that first very first drink goes away, you go below par below zero. Right. And then the next one will pick you up, but it can't pick you up as far as that first one. And then as that goes away and, you know, we deal with most of the withdrawal when we're sleeping because mostly we drink in the evenings. And so most of that really negative, like feelings of withdrawal is, is when we're sleeping. And then we wake up the next morning, not feeling that great. We drink. I mean, I was like wine all night, coffee all day, wine all night. That was like what was happening in my life. Um, But if we could just understand that, that first drink at the end of the day feels so good because it's addressing how bad the last night's drinking made us feel. I mean, that right. is the it's crux pushing of last it. night's out and filling you the next one. It's just this circle of last night's junk. Let's put more in. You and know what? I noticed something interesting too that I would do. I would make myself a drink and then I would go off and do something. Just the making of the drink decreased my anxiety so much. Right. I would go back and be like, where's my drink? I hadn't even taken a sip. Right. It was just the actual telling my brain, I'm going to make a drink and do it. And that's where I knew that my brain was so powerful that it, it taught me to relax just by pouring it before I even had a couple sips and I would go off and do something and then come back to it, which oh, yeah. I thought was really weird. No, that's totally, so, I had the exact same epiphany. Like it was, 
I remember we had this place in my house where I kept the box of wine and kept the wine glasses. And I'd walk out of my office because I was working at home for this big corporation I was working for, walk out of my office, open it, pour the wine, and I would feel better then. So my brain made me feel better then, like that sense of anticipation. It was well before the first sip. You know, and certainly the first sip, you're like, ah, it it doesn't have any mental effects then, right? Like you're just, it's really just this placebo thing. And placebo is is so strong. It can make people, you know, um, break out in poison ivy who haven't been touched with poison ivy. Like there's so many studies about the placebo effect. But um, so- the thing that stopped me for a little bit? I'm gonna tell you, I got- no drinking, but I still had that little corner in my kitchen that looked pretty with the wine bottles and the wine glasses and the little stuff. And it wasn't until I removed all that from my house that it really did a mind switch for me. Just yeah. seeing that it was there and it looked pretty and I was going to have it for guests. But then I thought, you know, if it's not good for me, it's not good for anybody that I love. And so if they want to bring their own drinks, they can. But I, once I got rid of all of that paraphernalia, that's when it finally clicked that I was a non-drinker and I never have to be again. Yeah. When I, I, I remember the first year I quit drinking, um, it was my son's like, oh gosh, I think it was his third birthday. And um, he, like we, I made this huge thing of sangria because I was like, I just want everybody to feel comfortable. Like I know that I'm not drinking, but I want everybody to feel comfortable. So I made virgin sangria and regular sangria and it was like this big deal and whatever. So everybody felt really good. And then you know, by his fourth birthday, I was like, kid's birthday party. Like nobody, like, you know, whatever. Like if you want right. to bring your own booze to my kid's birthday party, fine. And then by this year, right. it was his sixth birthday. And and somebody did. They know me well enough. She brought her own. She brought her own to the birthday party. I'm like, that's cool. Power to you. But that's hilarious. Yeah. You have to understand, like most of my friends, you know, they're not going to pick up my book because it's just kind of this thing. Like, you know, you're not, I don't know what it is, but it's just one of those things that I can count the number of people, close friends when of mine have read my book in like one hand. <laughs> so yeah, when you're healthy, seeing people who, you know, seeing people that make you reflect, I'm not as healthy. It, it doesn't feel good to be around those people. So not at all, you know, so I have I'm one okay. more question for you. Um, and this has been, I mean, Michelle, like you are just vibrant, you're glowing, you make me happy to talk to It's, it's been really a pleasure. Um, so what would you say to the Michelle of, you know, before the Michelle that was freaked out of, of not having your friend and not having your crutch and not having your relaxation and, and all those things, what would you say to her now on, on this side of the fence? Oh, that question gives me chills. Cause I feel sorry for her. Um, I would just tell her to love her, love herself, love yourself, um, and just don't give up. And if one thing doesn't work, just try another and another and another. Because the exhaustion you feel that it takes to get free is not as painful as the exhaustion you feel beating yourself up in the cycle. It's just not, you know. It just, this, you know, it's like a battered person. You don't, the bruises just don't show up anymore. You just get so used to things. I just didn't realize how bad it was for me. And, you know, I don't know. I would just go back to my old self and hug myself and tell me that, you know, you're going to do it and you've done it with other things in your life. And you know what? Just, you know, stop the bitching and just do it. <laughs> and then life on I this side, what, what is it like? Um, this side is peaceful. It really is peaceful. You know, I feel like 
I wake up in the morning and I am who I'm meant to be. Mm. I'm not hating yesterday. I'm totally over yesterday because I'm ready to face today. And I woke up going through yesterday, hating myself for yesterday, hating myself for the day before and getting drugged back and back and back. And that part of me was just depression, depression, depression. And, you know, the part of your book I love is it's a depressant. Why? I can't imagine why you're depressed. I'm just depressing myself every single day, you know? And I would think what, what addiction is going to surface today? Is it going to be the sex? Is it going to be the food? Is it going to be the alcohol? Once I cut the alcohol out, the other stuff became manageable. It really did. The alcohol fed all those other addictions. You know, I wasn't going to eat, so I was going to drink, which is just taking your carbs from a drink and not eating. You know, I was going to not have sex, so then I would drink. And it's just this, what addiction is going to win today? And I just, that, once the alcohol stopped, stopped, or, you know, once I stopped drinking, there were no other addictions to feed. So I feel like this is the, you know, it was the... This was the starter of stopping all the other addictions. Oh, it's so, so awesome. It gives me chills. Gives me chills. Thanks. It's so cool. Well, Michelle, um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being oh, here. Thank you for, for your vulnerability. Thank you. It's Thanks. Been awesome. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. Keep so going, nice girl. To meet you too. <laughs> Thanks. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.